The following audio is from the Grove Church Snohomish campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Well, welcome today, everybody. So glad you made it to church. Are you happy to be in service today? Absolutely. Come on, can we give it up for an incredible worship team today? Scott and the band did awesome. Thank you, guys. Good, good stuff. Hey, we are excited that you're here today. My name's Andrew, and if my wife Amanda and I have yet to meet you, we would love to meet you today uh, in our fun lobby. We are excited about what God's doing in our church, and uh, we get to be a part of an awesome church. Can I hear an amen? All right, I'm going to keep you alive today, all right? I'm going to keep you alive today. The way that you scream at your TV during the Hawks game is the way you're going to scream today. That's exactly right. Yeah, exciting times. Hey, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in the book of Judges today. Old Testament, we're going old today. So about the sixth book in your Bible, Judges chapter 6 is where we're going to be today as we continue spiritual mathematics, the worst series on the planet because it has the word math in it. Can I hear an amen? Yes. Um, Last week we talked about the age-old issue of those who love math, and I want to do it again. How many of you, you are the math nerd in your family? Raise your hand, wave at me. All right, how many of you, you're like, nope, boo, give me the boos, yes. Highly favored of the Lord, all the boos in the room, amen. Hey, well, I want to share with you one more conviction. Last week we talked and we opened this series about the fact that we're taking equations and formulas, and I want this to be on here, we're taking equations and formulas um, and we're just putting them together to make spiritual truth. So last week what we talked about was that convictions are greater than emotions. And one of the convictions I wanted to share as a bonus from last week that I did not get to share is uh, what I'm gonna call the, the worship conviction. I think I've shared a little bit before that I was homeschooled my whole life, which is why I'm a little weird and dorky at times. Can I hear an amen? No, I'm kidding. But I was homeschooled my entire life, uh, all the way up and through high school, did a couple classes, but I finally went to college and experienced uh, you know, real school, as they call it. But I was homeschooled my whole life, and one of the convictions that was a part of my family um, growing up that I think is just a, a powerful conviction that I want to encourage you uh, to adopt, and it was the what I'm just calling call them the, the worship conviction. Um, growing up in my family, I had an awesome mom and dad, but my mom specifically, and she's here today, so she'll love this because then she's getting attention, but my mom today is here in the room, and uh, my mom was, is a worshiper. My mom is a, a woman of prayer, and uh, my mom would be like in our living room. I've shared this story so many times, but it's just, it's just such a, a powerful image for me. My mom would be in our, our living room, just worshiping in our living room, and we had in our living room those like old uh, speaker boxes. It was like, looked like furniture, but they were like like subs and highs and lows, if you know what I'm talking about, and had like an amplifier. And then back then, we had a 100-hold CD player. It held 100 CDs, so it was amazing. So she'd be cranking, uh, you know, this music, her worship music, uh, during uh, the morning, wake out, you know, hours in the morning. You know, boys, get up! 
up, you know, and then she'd be like singing. There was one song she would always sing. It was by Daryl Evans, I'm Trading My Sorrows, as the best bass line ever. But it was like boom, 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 That's my bass. And so, but it's like, I'm trading my sorrows. Boys, wake up, get out of bed. I'm trading, you know, get in here and worship. And like, we'd be like getting up at like 10 a.m. It was so early. Getting up at like 10 a.m. to start worship and devotions. And we're sitting in the living room. My mom like, you worship the Lord and you sing with me. And we're just like, yes, yes, Lord, amen. Yes, yes, Lord, amen. You know, it was just like amazing memories. But it did something in my mind and my heart still to this day now that I have kids. It's this worship conviction. I would say to date, I probably know by memory over 300 worship songs just in my mind that I can sing on any given day or hour. Uh, just music has always just been a huge part of my life, but it's this worship conviction where early on my parents really instilled in us, especially my mom, that there's something powerful about what you listen to, something powerful about what you let your ears hear and what you meditate on. And growing up, you know, there were things that my parents instilled in us that we couldn't, couldn't do because they wanted us to have, um, you know, kind of like what Matt Redman would say, a heart of worship. See, there's one right there. I'm coming back to the, see, there it is. Like, they just come out of me, you see what I'm saying? But there's something about what you listen to. And I just want to encourage you, if you, you know, now today's world, we got cool Spotify and Apple Music. Amazon just came out with this new thing where you can listen to the pure tracks, the, the pure studio version of music they're releasing now. And so um, amazing quality of music that's out there. But I just want to encourage you, whatever you do to stream music, if you still do cassettes, praise God for you. Whatever you do to do music and listen, vinyl records, awesome. I would just encourage you more than anything to build up and, and strengthen the worship side of what you listen to. I believe with all of my heart that what you listen to impacts your life in such a big deal. And so I, I, I got hundreds of playlists I could send to you. I got old school, new school, anything in between. But I really believe worship should be a conviction that you constantly go to um, in your daily life. Can I hear an Amen. Amen. All right, so today's equation is this. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Today's equation is fear plus courage equals faith. Today's equation, fear plus courage equals faith. What's amazing about fear is that fear is a real feeling and emotion. In fact, fear has a, a way of crippling you and I and leave us in, in a state of mobility. It is fear that can hold us back from being what God wants us to be. See, the Bible speaks so much. There's so many times in scripture, we won't have time to do all of this today, where the Bible says, fear not, do not be afraid. I actually read an article this week uh, of one person saying that there's um, more than 365 different times in the Bible where the scriptures tell us to fear not. And the argument in this, in this article was that God did that on purpose so that every single day we could have a different verse to remind us not to fear, to fear not. It's interesting that when we live only by our fears, a lot of things can happen. First of all, we can miss opportunities to be used by God. In fact, most of the time in life, 
God is asking us to trust him and walk with him despite the fears we feel. Another thing that can happen when we live by our fears, we become shackled and full of doubt. When we operate out of fear, we become people who are powerless to move and we doubt the goodness of God. The last thing can happen when we operate by fear, we we can give the enemy a foothold in our lives. If the devil can convince you and I that we are powerless and have no strength to move forward or act, then he has us. It's interesting because many people in the Bible dealt with fear. In fact, most characters in the Bible dealt with some type of fear that they had to overcome. When we think about our equation, there was fear. Let's think about courage for a a minute here. Courage, the ability to do something that frightens one. See, to be a Christ follower is to be a person of courage. To be a person of courage is to move past one's fear and to obey and act and do the very thing God is asking you and I to do. Let me give you an example of fear, courage, and then faith operating. I think in general for you and I as Christ followers, there's a general fear of wanting to share our faith with other people. I mean, it could be that we're afraid of man and what they're going to say to us. Could be that we're afraid of, you know, what people will think about us. Could be that we work at a certain job or do, you know, have a certain kind of uh, lifestyle where people, you know, that's not allowed. You're not allowed to talk about religion. You're not allowed to talk about faith. You're not allowed to bring up any of those kind of things. But I think in general, when a pastor or you're one of your fellow Christians says, hey, man, we need to tell others more about Jesus. We need to witness to people. We need to bring people to Christ. I think in general, for honest, we're all pretty afraid to do that in some way, shape, perform. And so there's always kind of a little bit of a fear of sharing Christ with people. For me, uh, the, the, how the fear gets played out in my head, if, I'm, if God's asking me to, to share something, first of all, my, my heart starts to race a little bit faster. My palms start to get a little sweaty. And I'm just like, okay, what am I going to say? How am I going to bring this up? How am I going to bridge that gap? There's just this general fear. But then let's say we take the courage and we go, you know what? I did it. You're going to share with someone why you believe what you believe. You're going to take the opportunity to let someone into what it is that you hold to and why you believe that way. You have the courage to do it. And here's what happens. When that happens and you share your faith with someone, automatically your faith grows. It's how it works. Because you overcome the fear, you overcome the obstacle, and you shared your life with someone, your belief, and your faith grows. Like I said, there's so many people in the Bible that dealt with fears. Obviously, there's famous characters like David, Goliath, Esther, Peter, Paul. Today, we're, we're looking at the life of Gideon because Gideon is, is, is an interesting dude. Gideon, and the reason why we picked him is that Gideon is not your typical candidate for just being courageous and just going for it. In fact, when we read today, we're going to hear and see the kind of person Gideon is. And Gideon is a little sheepish, to be honest with you. Gideon struggles with some courage. He struggles with these fears. He struggles with really obeying what God's asking him to do. And what you're going to learn when we read Gideon today is you're going to learn that um, he had to overcome some big, some big obstacles for, for God to use him. As we read Judges 6 today, though, I want to give you some background to this 
cycle that happens in the book of Judges. And then I need you to stick with me because in the Old Testament, and really to understand the Old Testament and the stories in the Old Testament, we really have to read a lot of scripture. So I need you to kind of hang with me on the story because I'm gonna read 35 verses and I know that's a lot. Maybe I usually do less than that. But I need you to stick with me because to capture Gideon and to see his progression of, of this idea of fear and courage and then seeing him act in faith, we, we gotta actually read a little bit and understand his, his life. But before we read the text, let me just give you the, the cycle of judges for all of the, the theologians in the room who, who really love studying. So this is the cycle that happens in the book of Judges. First of all, there's what we call apostasy. The Israelites do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. This goes over and over and over in the book of Judges. They do what's evil in the sight of the Lord. Then there's servitude. God allows the nation, the God's people Israel, to be conquered and oppressed by a neighboring nation. Then there's supplication. People cry out to God, Lord, save us, forgive us, redeem us. And then God sends a judge to deliver the Israelites. And this cycle goes over and over and over and over. Every single judge, every single story, this cycle just repeats itself. Doesn't matter which judge it is, it's the same thing. So when we read today, you're going to see this cycle. You're going to see that the people did what's evil in the sight of the Lord. You're going to see that God then offered them a nation to conquer them. You're going to see them cry out to God. And then you're going to see God send a judge, particularly today, Gideon, to help redeem God's people. 35 verses. Hang with me. It's a lot, but I feel like you'll appreciate the story. Chapter 6, verse 1. It says, The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Shocker. Okay? Not really. They, all the book of Judges is full of this. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or oxen or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come up like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And the Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. So you're starting to see the cycle. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on the account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Okay, now here's God sending the judge. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, which while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Okay, let's just listen to the kind of character and person Gideon is. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt 
But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. Listen to Gideon's response. And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. We'll keep going here. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephra of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot. And he brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was, that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, alas, O Lord, my God. For now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it stands at Ophrah, which is to the Abyssalites. Last portion here. Thanks for sticking with me here. Last section. That night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull seven years old and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has cut down and cut down the Asher that is beside it. And build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here, with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of Asher that you shall cut down. So Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. Thanks for sticking with me. Let's pray for God's word today. Lord Jesus, we just thank you, Lord, that you are working, God, in our church. You're working in our lives. And Lord, today you're reminding us once again that it takes great faith, God, to trust you and to be obedient to what you call us to do, God. But I thank you, Lord, for this story. I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's alive in us. It speaks to our hearts. I pray you would just do it once again in your good name. Amen. It's going to break this down in a few different sections, get us to understand what's happening here, and then we'll kind of land the plane and, and make some points here. So again, God's people are, are, are in captivity. They're, they're being held by fear and oppressed because they did what was evil in the Lord. So what's happening in these first several verses is that God's people, the people of Israel, are hiding in caves. They're hiding in mountains away from the nation of the Midianites because they're so overwhelmed and so afraid and scared of what the Midianites will do to them. And here's what's happening. Every now and then, they're going out of their caves and trying to plant crops and trying to get food only then for the Midianites to pounce on them and steal their food and steal their animals and steal their livestock and all the things that they need to survive. So they're at this very low point in their life. They're starving. They're broken. They're hiding out in these caves. And every time they try to do something just to survive to get some food in their stomach, this nation is oppressing them and overwhelming them. 
That's what's happening in these first several verses. They're at a low point because of their sin. They're at a low point because they continue to do evil in the sight of the Lord. It's interesting because where we find Gideon in this story is Gideon, when he gets called by God to be a judge and to rescue God's people, Gideon is actually also hiding in a cave area and he's trying to beat wheat in a wine press in order to be able to feed his family and feed the people of his land. Now, just historically, if you want to get wheat and you want to do that, you don't do it in a cave where there's no wind and there's no ability for the chaff to come out. And so what happens is we even find Gideon in this low point, Gideon afraid of what's going on, feeling oppressed with his family by this nation. And so God calls Gideon as the next judge to deliver the Israelites. And what's interesting about Gideon, he's, he's not courageous at all. He has no courage really in him at all. Maybe an ounce of courage, okay? But may, mostly he's just full of fear. And God is calling Gideon to rise up and redeem God's people and do these certain things. And then there's this progression that he has with the Lord. First of all, of all the judges, I mean, you got Samson, you have Gideon. There's a lot of judges in the book of Judges. Of all the judges, Gideon is, Gideon is the one judge where God even does a sign. They call it a theophany. Does a sign to try to prove to him that he is with him. And of all the judges, Gideon struggles so much with having the courage to believe. So first of all, here's what happens. So he calls Gideon out of this sorrow state and he says, Gideon, the Lord is with you, almighty man of valor. And what is Gideon? I mean, this is the Lord speaking to him. And Gideon's response is, no, he's not. No, he's not with me. And no, I'm not a man of valor. And I, I'm scared. And I'm a baby. And I don't believe what you're saying. In fact, if I was a man of valor and this courageous person you're calling me to and calling me out, then my people would not be where they're at today. In fact, God, if you who, you who you are, you say you are, then we would not be in this place right now. We would not be getting oppressed. We would not be poor. We would not have to be hiding in a cave. We would not be starving. I need food. Okay, this is Gideon. This is the kind of character of Gideon. He, he's sheepish. He's afraid. And this is the Lord saying, you're a mighty man of valor. You got this, Gideon. Redeem your people. And he's like, nope. I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy. And I don't know where you are. And you rescued us from Egypt, but you're not here today. Where are you? So he immediately doesn't believe this, this statement that Yahweh provides to him. It's interesting because Gideon's name, it, it means to hack. It means to break to pieces. But yet Gideon is characterized by being fearful and reluctant to what God is asking him to do. It's interesting because Gideon does not believe that the Lord is with him. And if we look at scripture, there's a lot of different people that God called and they always questioned it. And a lot of times people, when you study Gideon, compare Gideon to Moses. Because when God called Moses, Moses did the same thing. God said, Moses, I want you to redeem your people from Egypt. And what did Moses say? Oh, I don't know how to talk and I'm not eloquent in my speech and I this and this. <laughs> you know, 
It's kind of like that. That was supposed to be funny. Wow, okay. All right. Um, but this is the kind of people that God's calling. You got Moses and now you have Gideon. So then God goes on. No, no, Gideon, listen, listen. I'm going to call you. You're going to redeem your people. It's going to be amazing. And what does Gideon say? He's just full of excuses. He, he starts doing the whole family card. I'm, I'm the least in my clan. My family is the smallest. I, another excuse. For, first of all, he says, you know what, God? If I was a mighty man of valor, you, you would have showed up already. I don't believe it. He says, no, 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 but I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to strengthen you. You can do this. Nope. Least in my clan, least in my family. My family's the smallest. So then, after this, I mean, the, the, the nerve of Gideon and the way that God's calling him, he finally says, okay, listen, God, okay, I know that I, you call me a man of valor. I know that you're saying that, you know, I'm the, you're going to be with me. And I, I know these things. I hear what you're saying. But God, will you please, will you please, please, will you just give me a sign? I mean, just, just give me a sign. Just show me. I mean, you already told me you're with me. You already told me I'm great. You, but just give me a sign. And then I'll believe that I'm courageous and full of faith and I'll do what you're asking. But just give me a sign. And so what does God do? God, God gives him a sign. God does this whole thing. And, and through all that, he finally starts to get a little bit courageous, but just a little bit. He just starts to get a little bit more courageous and starts to move past this fear. Because remember, today's equation, fear plus courage equals faith. She starts getting a little bit more courageous. So God gives him the sign. But here's how this section, story, this section of Gideon ends here. Obviously, there's more to Gideon's life. But I want you to read uh, just one more time with me here, verse 25. This is, this is after all that happened. Here's what Gideon does. So he says, That night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull seven years old and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the ash shear that is beside it. And build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here, with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the asher that you have cut down. So Gideon, okay, here, here's a little courage, not a lot. Here it is. So Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. Wait a second. There's the butts of the scripture. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. See, I love Gideon because Gideon's like me. And if we're honest, maybe he's like you. He doesn't have a lot of courage. He's like, okay, you told me I'm a man of valor. You said you would be with me. You gave me a sign. You would think that would be enough for him to go, I'm charging heaven. I'm doing this thing. I'm wrestling God's people. But instead he's like, you want me to do what? You want me to take my father's gods because my family doesn't worship Yahweh and you want me to go and destroy their gods and then take their gods made of wood and make a bonfire and light their gods on fire. I mean, that's what he's calling them to do. And Gideon's like, nope. Okay, okay, okay. I'll do it, I'll do it at night when no one can see me. See, what's so cool about the Bible and when we read scriptures and it comes alive like it did for you and I today, what we learn in this story is that God is the hero of this story, not Gideon. 
I mean, I mean, we love that God uses you and I and uses the people in Scripture, but God's the hero of the story because if we're honest, when we look at the life of Gideon, he's so afraid. He's so worried. He's so worried about what his family will do to him. He's so worried about what's going to happen. His fear has overwhelmed him, and he starts to get courageous. He's starting to get a little bit of courage. He's starting to see that God is with him. He's starting to believe that he can overcome these fears, but he doesn't fully believe it. In fact, he only believes it on his terms. Okay, God, I will do it as long as I do it my way at night when no one can see me so that I can keep the peace with my family. What's amazing about this story is that God uses Gideon's fear and his excuses and a little bit of courage to build his faith and bring freedom to God's people. See, it's, it's amazing because if we're, if we're really thinking about Christianity and what it means to be a Christ follower, Christianity requires great faith in all circumstances, especially when your family opposes it. For all practical purposes, Gideon's family, his own blood, does not serve Yahweh, the true God. They don't. And now he has to stand up in front of his own blood family, in front of his own father, and go and cut down the thing that his father and his mother and his siblings have been worshiping, light it on fire, and then sacrifice uh, an offering to God, because that's what it was like then until Christ came as the last sacrifice. He had to do those things for his family, even though his family was not worshiping Yahweh. Talk about courage even when our family may oppose it. Lastly here, if we think about this story, despite it all, despite all the fear, despite just a little bit of the courage, God uses Gideon. God uses him. In fact, his, his story goes on and on. I'm, I'm not even getting to the, him and the 300 men. His story goes on and on of how God uses Gideon. But it's this amazing encouragement to you and I today because a lot of times there's lots of fears. A lot of times there's lots of doubts. A lot of times there's lots of things that try to come into our hearts and our minds to get us to believe that it's gonna be this way or to get us to overwhelm us or get us to cripple us. And yet what's amazing is God says, listen, I can use all of your fears and if I can just get an ounce of courage, if I can just get you to operate out of just a little bit of courage, I can use that to build your faith and I can use that to build the faith of others. Fear plus courage equals faith. Practically, just some questions for you to think about today. Where is God calling you to step out in courage even though you are afraid? Where, where is God calling you to step out in courage even though you are afraid? Because we know that there'll be fear. That's why there's over and over and over in the Bible, more than 365 times in the Bible, fear not for I am with you. Fear not for I go before you. Do not be afraid. But when we take fear, we take a little bit of courage, it can equal faith. But where is God calling you to step out in courage, even though you may be afraid? I'm reading a great book right now called The Way of the Warrior by Erwin McManus. And I wanna read to you what he wrote about the power of fear. He wrote, to begin with, what you fear has mastery over your life. If you fear only God, then he becomes your only master. 
What you fear also establishes the boundaries of your freedom. If you are afraid of heights, you stay low. If you are afraid of crowds, you stay alone. Fear limits your freedom except when it comes to God. Scripture tells us that perfect love casts out all fear, 1 John 4, 18. When we fear God and God alone, our fear is consumed in his perfect love. It is only when we love him that his love casts out all our fear. So when we love the Lord our God with all of our hearts and souls and strength and minds, fear no longer has power over our lives. We are finally and most beautifully free. See, I love that. Because he says, if we only fear God, Ecclesiastes says that, fear God and keep his commands. If we only fear God, then everything else will not have mastery over us because God is in the first priority and of first importance in our lives. What has mastery over your life and your decisions? What kind of decisions are you making based out of fear versus courage and faith? You know, I think about great faith. Think about the power of faith. Think about what happens when people believe God for amazing things, impossible things. And I'm here to tell you right now, great faith is incredibly contagious. In fact, when you and I are going through circumstances and situations and things are happening in our lives, you know what we want more than anything is great faith. We want people around us believing God for the impossible. We want people around us praying for heaven to come on earth as it is in heaven. We want to believe that Jesus is the same God today as he was 2,000 years ago. And it's contagious. You want to be around people like that. You want to grow with people like that because you believe great faith moves mountains. That with God, all things are possible. There was a man by the name of Jim Elliott, an incredible person of great faith. Very, very famous story. I won't be able to get all into all of it today because of time, but got some homework for you. Just Google when you go home today, Jim Elliott, and just read the life of him and his five friends and what they chose to do for the sake of the gospel of Christ. Just briefly, they chose to reach out to a group in Ecuador, this Indians group. They were called the Hirani Group of Indians, and it was their lives still today that stand as a witness of incredible great faith because they were killed in trying to minister and reach this people group. In his journal, it's now in museums, things that he wrote, and it's a famous story today. But he wrote in his journal, and I have it on the screen here, he wrote in his journal, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. What's amazing about Jim Elliot is he becomes a martyr. This is in the 50s. He becomes a martyr. Him and his five friends get killed and slaughtered by this people group. And if you read the story, spoiler alert for you, if you read the story, what you'll find is that his wife and some of the spouses that were left as widows returned back to the same people group, returned back to the same person who murdered her husband and tried to reach them for Christ and saw incredible things happen in the life of this people group. Why? Because they had a lot of fear, but took a little bit of courage and God used that to create faith. 
I just want to encourage you today. There is something so powerful about amazing faith. There's something so powerful about believing that God can, that God will, that God does. And you're, you're called to not be afraid. You and I are called to not be afraid. You and I are called to stand and trust that God's moving on our behalf. Because fear plus courage equals faith. Let me pray for you today. God, I thank you right, right here in this moment, you are breaking fear over us today, God. We will not be held captive by fear any longer in the name of Jesus. We thank you for, God, the power of Jesus and what he did on the cross for me and for you. And we thank you, God, that you don't need a lot of courage. You just need a little bit. And you can work with that, God. You can work with that kind of courage. You can work with that. You can use that to build faith, God. I pray today for anyone in this room, God, who's maybe, God, been crippled by fears, overwhelmed, God, feeling immovable, feeling shackled, feeling the weight of the world on top of them. I pray in the name of Jesus, I command for that fear to be gone in the name of Jesus. I thank you for freedom. I thank you for truth. I thank you, God, that we are never alone, that you are always with us, and we can trust you for that, God. We thank you, God, that you're building our faith today in your good name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Snohomish Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.